This is Passing Through Life, a show that explores how people navigate major life changes. Just how do we make it through what life throws at us? I'm your host, Luann Bolbecker. Today's episode is entitled Leaving the Big Apple. It's episode number seven, an interview with Alex Belisle, a retired teacher and photographer who spent his whole life living and working in New York City, only to retire in Lakewood, a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. So welcome, Alex. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's nice to be here. This ought to be real interesting. (laughs) Of course it will, because we're both interesting. Alex, you and I only recently met. Somehow we got connected through your photography. Uh, It's probably your Facebook page and probably the one called Faces of Lakewood, I think, which is roughly, if I'm correct, took its inspiration from the street photography of humans of New York, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. As soon as I moved here, I said, gee, I I started looking for a humans of Lakewood. There was actually a page, but it was only up seen for a few months. So I said, well... I'll make it like that, but I'll make it faces of Lakewood because this way I could do more than just people because pets and buildings and other things are also faces. I, I think the reason I connected not only seeing your photography, but um, I had lived in Lakewood for nearly 30 years and I would read your posts and kind of see this transition happening of moving here from New York City. Oh, I bet you also saw my my first post was really catching the light in Lakewood, which was a uh, effort to be like a photo blog. And I had some of it also in the Lakewood Observer, which is like the local paper. And a lot of people were saying they really look forward to seeing that because I'm giving them a look at Lakewood that's unique from the people that have lived it all their lives. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Seeing it from the outside is always different. Um, and I just wanted you to like Lakewood. I always did um, enjoy living in Lakewood. Uh, I'm now, um, you know, 10 minutes away in old Brooklyn, uh, which is kind of funny. Old Brooklyn, well, you know, there, there's... If you think that's yeah. funny, okay. yeah. it was really funny for me when somebody said they're going to Brooklyn. I said, why are you going 500 miles away to Brooklyn? I didn't know there was a Brooklyn in this area. <laughs> that's right. We've got one too. Our paths were crossing first online, and then as I'd go to events, I'd see you, and I know um, we introduced ourselves to each other, and here we are. Um, this show is about transitions. Um, so the two that I kind of wanted to talk about were first um, the obvious change uh, geographically, moving from one of the biggest cities in the world to one that's you know not not quite so big. I mean, it is still a city, uh, but but it, but it is unique because it's the most dense city for its size between New York City and Chicago. So it might be a little city, but it's a dense little city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Lakewood is known as it's residential. It's also known for a city of churches and bars, which is uh, every corner's got one. Um, And then there's also a transition, um, and we'll talk more about that, uh, that you were a high school teacher, but then also transitioning into photography and kind of how that happened and how it's continuing. I call it a reinvention of self. Okay. And I think think more older people need to think about reinventing themselves because then it makes life just more interesting, makes it more challenging, keeps their mind alert, um, and new is good. Just without going into great detail, because we'll do that later, um, back up a bit and just say, what are you doing now in general? Just uh, Right. I would say that right now I'm doing a lot of freelance photography. Some cases uh, I do get paid. In a lot of cases, I do things for free because I just love photography. Okay. And... What kind of photography were you doing in New York City? Well, first, I first started um, just uh, taking pictures for myself. And then um, I worked as a, a freelance photojournalist for a small paper in my borough of the Bronx. And that uh, connected me with the New York Post and Wall Street Journal because it was part of News Corps. And then as I was taking more and more pictures, I eventually... Got lucky. I was at a basketball tournament and I met someone who was the branding director for Eastern United States Nike basketball. 
And then I ended up working for Nike Basketball, taking pictures off uh, outdoor basketball tournaments in New York City. And I did some fashion work, but it was um, on my own, sort of like freelance fashion work. There's, fa- there's tons of fashion in New York City. Okay. Okay. And then I, I want to take you back just a little bit. You told me prior that prior to moving here, you spent your whole life living in apartments. Tell me about that. So a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up and what was life like in New York City? Well, like anything, if you don't know what it's like to be on the other side of it, um, I lived in an apartment. That's all I could remember. And while I was living in an apartment, I never thought of either buying a house or living in a house. I thought, well, buying a house is just too expensive. You know, living in New York City, everything is expensive. But my wife, grew up in a house in Lakewood. I met her in college in Massachusetts, married her, took her back to New York City. So when my kids, my adult kids uh, at that time, uh, 36 and 41, were with me in the car in um, Connecticut, they said, well, you know, we're talking about retiring. And they said, why don't you buy a house? And I said, wait a minute, retirees, we don't buy houses, we move out of houses. (laughs) Right, you sell them. You know, and then... My daughter started looking up home prices in Howard Hanna and Zillow, and she started throwing out these real estate, the home prices for Lakewood. And after a while, I said to I said to my daughter, I said, you're missing a digit. You mean, <laughs> you, you mean a million, 250,000? She said, no, 250,000. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And well, how do you turn that down? <laughs> Okay, we'll we'll talk about that some more. But I want to hear a little bit more about New York because I want to understand maybe, you know, this is about transitions. What's different? Um, It's the energy. Okay. And you hear all kinds of people say the same thing, even on commercials and TV. And that's the thing. (laughs) After I moved here, I'm watching TV and all these shows have New York City in the back, especially like the criminal shows. I'm like, oh, I know where that is. I've been there. Oh, oh my gosh, I really miss Manhattan. And the energy is hard to explain. Um, If you're in the middle of it, you know, like you're in a forest and you're surrounded by trees, you don't think about the trees because you're in the forest. New York City, there's all that energy. And with me working for the press, I was all over the place. And then working for Nike with sports and fashion, But I think I was able to take some of the energy with me when I moved from Mm -hmm. New York City Mm -hmm. to Lakewood. And that's why I'm always running around and doing all the photography that I do. And uh, I guess when you grow up in a place that's so full of energy and vitality, you can't just leave all that behind. Right. That's in you. You're right. I mean, (laughs) you've had that. Does it translate also about, is there kind of a, a New York attitude of being maybe maybe more work-wise, but like aggressive, pushy? Yeah, I just spoke to some photographers, younger photographers and some friends about uh, doing things. I was at the air show and uh, I managed to uh, go up with the U.S. Army Golden Knights parachute team <laughs> in the plane and I guess also I had all my camera equipment and I looked like I've been doing this forever. So the guys said, you know what? We'll put you right next to the door. And the door is open all the way. Oh, my gosh. And I got some really great video. But the whole idea was be aggressive. Ask for stuff. If people say no, well, so what? It's a no. But if you don't ask, you never get a, a possible yes. And at 14,500 feet, it was really, really cold up there. But like I said, part of it's not really aggression in a positive way, Um, uh, especially with newspaper, working for any newspaper, your editors will always will always tell you, get that shot, you know, make sure you get that shot. So in New York City, that means. I'm fighting with another 30, 40, 50 photographers and guys from the TV stations and the big cameras, et cetera. So you pick that up. And and even driving, New York City being as crowded and as big as it is, you can't really get anywhere unless you, you have to be a little pushy. 
do you think that has served you well here? Well, what happened? How long have you been here? Okay, first, three, three and a half years okay. uh, as of this um, podcast interview. It actually was a slight problem for someone I worked for in Lakewood. I won't mention his name. And he didn't, he said he didn't understand me. You know, maybe all you're running all over the place. Maybe that's something you got from New York City. That That's his quote. And I said, well, so be it. For instance, as a photographer, a lot of photographers will focus on one genre. It could be landscape, could be nature, could be sports, could be fashion. I like to do a, a lot of everything. I find it more interesting. And so I think coming from New York City, uh, you become like uh, somebody called me a renaissance man. You know, the idea of not, not just rebirth re and reinvention of self, but of dabbling in many different areas that touch on aesthetics. And, and photography, by the way, is interesting because it's a combination of technology and aesthetics. Where do you get that kind of combination? You know, the idea of uh, taking a picture is an idea of being able to create a composition in your mind and then technically make it happen. And so that's what's so really appealing for me personally in terms of, you know, photography. Okay. You mentioned aesthetics and good segue because uh, when we talked earlier, you said there was a difference uh, between um, kind of the way people either understand aesthetics, you know, what they believe is good or they react to, and even their their understanding. We were talking about um, shooting fashion models and whether they even understand sort of the history. Could you talk about that? Because uh, this I, I, whole paradigm shift. Yeah, it, it, right. I tell people I'm still caught up in a huge cultural paradigm shift of trying to understand uh, the new culture that, I, that I'm part of, you know, in Lakewood, Ohio, a sort of a Midwestern culture, if you want to use that term, different than the big city. And I wasn't sure if the problem wasn't appreciation of aesthetics or it was an economic problem. Because if you live in an area that's sort of economically depressed, which this area is, it's the Rust Belt, and they really didn't bounce back from the stock market crash in 2007, 2008. Um, and, you know, you're so busy working and making a living and paying the rent and paying the mortgage that who cares about fashion? But I spoke to another photographer who was a cardiologist and had his own photography studio store in Lakewood. And he said to me, he says, you know what? He says, even the rich people around this area um, and he mentioned uh, some areas out west of Lakewood. He said, they've never been to the Cleveland Museum of Art. And I was like, seriously? Mm. Not only is it like rank number two or three in the United States, but it's free. <laughs> right, right. No <laughs> I mean, excuse and not it, to and, at least go once. And right, yeah. and when you walk right. in the place, if it's a weekday when school is in, you literally have the museum to yourself. No way that happens on Fifth Avenue at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The place is packed all the time. Mm. And so says maybe there is sort of a disconnect between even people who are making good money and their appreciation of aesthetics. Again, in New York City, it's easier to grow up being exposed to finer things and the arts and music and theater and dance and all those wonderful things that comprise, I guess, the term aesthetics. Um, so here, you don't have that exposure. Well, you have it, but but it's not as intense. It's, it's, right. it's there, right? Yeah. So you can access it if you want, and not as much. It's not bombarding you. It's more if you look for it, it's there, but not. The other thing I was wondering, what you said about it being empty, New York City would also have just so many people coming into that city. You know, Cleveland has become more attractive as a tourist city, but that's clearly not its um, well, personality. Th when I covered the first um, uh, primary debates for the RNC in Cleveland, was I think it was two summers ago, 
And the big talk was that this was going to really make Cleveland, you know. Um, it did, but I think sports really made Cleveland, mm. you know, with LeBron James. Yes, yes. And the Cavs winning the NBA championship and the Cleveland Indians nearly winning the World Series. I think sports really has put Cleveland map more so than that political event, you know, the RNC. Um I was really surprised by how small downtown Cleveland was. It, when people asked me to compare, let's say, um, Cleveland with New York City, or even Lakewood with New York City, which is kind of ridiculous, but I tell them you could put downtown Cleveland inside Central Park, which is in the middle of Manhattan. It, it, that's the kind of comparison you can make. I, I make. And I also see a disparity between um, the sort of like Cleveland proper, I guess, outside of downtown Cleveland. I saw a lot of impoverishment. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen poverty in New York, in Harlem and the South Bronx, but I saw impoverishment. And impoverishment is not poverty. Poverty is more like you know, uh, centered on, on lack of income, money. Impoverishment's like a lack of culture, a lack of class, lack of education, lack of money, lack of even self-respect when you're mm. really put down. And I found, you know how I found that out? I got on the buses and the trains. I, I said, you know, you want to see what the real people live, are like? Get on the train, get on the buses, and just pay attention. What, how has this shaped uh, a little bit when you do your photography? Um, what do you find people react to more? I, I know you've talked about using like the, the Norman Rockwell effect. Is, is there a different thing that we, being those of us who live in this area, respond to so far in but, when you're shooting? You know, that's a good question, but I think you have to split the question into two parts. Okay. Um, what do the people respond to when I do photography with them? And the other part of the question is, what kind of photography do they appreciate when they actually see the product? Okay. okay. Now, I will go the, the second part. Um, I had to find that out. Um, I didn't know what people liked. I knew, I found out very quickly they like Lake Erie sunsets and sunrises, and they like nature. And you did, I didn't see that much street photography because I saw much more New York City, but then it's so dense and so many people. Uh, a lot of times during the middle of the week in Lakewood proper anyway, streets are practically empty if, the school, if school is in. Um, whereas, yeah, I never saw that back in New York City. And the other part is the process. I learned as a teacher to be a people person because if you're a people person, your students they react to you in a more positive way because their feeling is, gee, he, re he really likes us. So it, the whole learning process is easier. So even when I take pictures of people, I like to interact with the subjects. I like to, to talk with them first and, and smile and laugh and, and try to catch the essence of who they are. So sometimes when you put those photos out, and especially now, recently, I, I apply a filter that I call my Norman Rockwell filter. Um, it gives that sense of um, the all-American city and a, a sense of intimacy. Mm, with, mm. Wow, I'm in that picture. Look. And that's so, it looks like a painting. And a couple of, matter of fact, <laughs> yesterday, somebody saw one of my photos I did of the crowd at the Cleveland Air Show at Burke Airport. And the comment was, oh my God, I thought this was a painting until mm -hmm. you said it was a photo and it looks just like a Norman Rockwell painting. <laughs> so they said that unsolicited. Unsolicited. Okay. And when I read that, I was like, yes, thank you so much. That was my intention. Okay, okay. So how has it been psychologically making the switch? You know, you talked about how it came about. I was going to ask you that, that you, you knew you were retiring. Um, I think when we talked before, you, you thought, hey, maybe we'll go south to nicer weather, but you have family ties with your wife. 
Well, let's talk about your wife a little bit. How did she feel about moving back here? And how has that transition gone? Oh, of course, her, her BFF is still here okay. you know, from childhood. So you know what that's like. <laughs> um, plus, it closes the circle. You know, when when husbands take wives away from their roots and their family and stuff, it's sometimes because of a job, you know, whatnot. It closes the circle. And so... I, she was very happy. She always wanted the front porch. Matter of fact, when we looked at homes, if it didn't have a front porch, we didn't even look at okay. it. Okay, yeah. So yeah. she has her swing, her swinging bench, you know, that's on the front porch. She has a, a fair, we have a fairly good size front porch, I mean, front yard and backyard. So there's a lot of gardening. And my daughter, who was, a, I thought, a real city girl, uh, she's really gotten to gardening, so they have we have animals all over, we have flowers all over. Um, she loves it. And but what is interesting is I'm more engaged in the social events of Lakewood, maybe because of the photography, than she is. Matter of fact, when I ask her, have you ever been to this event? in Lakewood when you were a child? Mm, and mm. she'll say, No, I heard about it, but I, I, that was the surprise for me. And um, like I said, I'm more involved in the social events in Lakewood than she is. But she's happy. Uh, but we have an 1895 Victorian, and we're learning very quickly that old homes have to be uh, looked after. <laughs> okay. So you didn't have that in an apartment. Right. In an right, apartment, right. they came and they fixed stuff. Right. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, yeah. Not here. Yeah, that's why, well, I mean, that doesn't account for it being, you know, a couple hundred thousand. Uh, but still, yeah, you have to have a budget for keeping your house up and somehow do that. Were people friendly when you came here? I mean, what was it like when you first moved in? Um, yes, it was very friendly. You know, the traditional uh, knock on the door, here's a cake, you know. That actually happened? Yeah, oh, oh. more than once. Yes, you know. Go um, It was okay. a pie and a cake. I'm like, wow, these people are pretty cool. <laughs> um, and even I came in in the winter of uh, 2015, there was a lot of snow and it was cold. And while I was shoveling, a ne neighbor across the street came over and introduced himself and started talking and when I speak to people from Lakewood and I mention I'm from New York City, it's as if the door opens just a little bit more because people are sort of fascinated by New York City. Just mentioning that. And then when I say I'm, I work for the New York City Press Corps, oh my gosh. Um, and so a friend back in New York City, when I spoke about this briefly on Facebook, I think I, I talked about how friendly people are how nice they are. And um, he said, you know what, Alex? You're finally in a community. Mm. And mm. I had to kind of think about that. You're right. In New York City, I lived in a building that had 400 families. And yet, I know for a fact, I didn't know everybody on my floor. Right. Yet, I know more people on my block in Lakewood than I did back in New York City on my floor in my building. Wow. Is that a good thing? Well, I won't talk about my immediate neighbors. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I'm not asking you to. Okay, In general, the idea of people knowing who's around you and being part of a community, do you find that a good thing? Well, it's easier for me okay. as a photographer. Okay. Because um, people say, oh, that's Alex. Or he's Faces of Lakewood. <laughs> yeah. They don't even know my name. Yeah. Or he's the that's guy. the Faces he's of the Lakewood guy. guy. Okay. Right. Do you miss the excitement and energy of New York? That's not a fair question. Why not? Because I, you know, I love Manhattan. Well, I, well <laughs> I, yes, you, you don't have to. It's yes. not a bad thing. No, no, yeah. it, no. It's a good. Yes, um, there's something about Manhattan. I mean, look, just turn on your TV and just skim through all the movies and shows, and I would say fifty percent of your TV shows and movies might have a New York City backdrop, and it's usually Manhattan. It, it's so rich, all the vitality and the energy, and so many things are happening, and um, yeah, I miss Manhattan. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Are you happy you moved here? Some days I question, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm unhappy, but I question the move because I have an old house. <laughs> and there's so many things I'm learning about living in a house. And there are things of a political nature in a small town like Lakewood. But I said to myself, we had the same stuff in New York City. But because Lakewood's a microcosm, New York City's a macrocosm. You know, I said to my wife, you know those soap operas you watch on TV? I said, we, I think we moved into one. Into one. one. And I'm not going to get into specifics, no, but no, no. everywhere you go, there's all kinds of political chicanery and stuff going on. And you just have to like, you know what? Deal with it. Right. I'll ask you at the end more if you have any advice for somebody following in your footsteps. But I want to talk about the kind of second transition, the idea um, you were a teacher, and I think you mentioned this before, but talk a little bit about retiring from, te you know, what were you doing teaching and then how you got into photography? A little more okay, detail. Okay. Um, I taught uh, high school English for 36 years in New York City Board of Education, um, which I'm very happy for because um, the teachers union in New York City is like the most powerful or second most powerful in the United States. And it helped in terms of my salaries, it helped in terms of my pension, of my annuity, of medical coverage. Okay, so when I moved here, you know, you're taking New York City money, New York City pension, et cetera. That financial piece was, and and especially health coverage was was prime, you know, at primo, you know, health coverage. Um, and that helped a lot. But when I first retired, I mean, think about it this way. My wife was not used to having me home for 36 years during the day. <laughs> right, right. And so all of a sudden I'm home and I'm like, you know, you want to find a niche. And uh, okay, I was working out, I was running, I was going hiking and geocaching and stuff like that, riding my bike. But there was something else not, you know, that I wanted to do. And my wife said, well, why don't you, why don't you get a hobby? You know, did you have hobbies when you were teaching, or just no time for uh, that? I was I was probably working out a lot, and I, I mean, I was into sports. I ran all New York City Marathon and mm. and did the the uh, Big Apple triathlons and sports. Played a lot of basketball and stuff like that. And I think that was also a way of keeping not only physically healthy but mentally healthy. Because it was a very, I was a dean for ten years in addition to teaching English, wow. so I was dealing with gang fights and drugs and all kinds of craziness and discipline issues. Imagine breaking up a fight between, you know, with three hundred kids in a cafeteria, then walking into a double period of AP English teaching Shakespeare. The that's. That's, That's a transition. Well, I, I, it is a <laughs> yeah. transition. And I, I should have gotten two salaries, too. Right. You know, um, so anyway, I got into a hobby. I've always been intrigued by photography. And um, by working for a newspaper, it enhanced the learning process. It was a steep learning curve, but you learn quicker when you're working at it. Well, how'd you get into a newspaper? It was yeah. simple. They simply advertise. Um, we're looking for freelance photographers. Okay. You know, people have jobs. They don't have time to do that. You know, I had the time. And I said, I have nothing to lose. Did you have a camera? I, well, <laughs> I bought a camera. Okay. It gave me an excuse to buy a camera that I would never probably have bought. And when my wife said, it cost what? <laughs> I was like, well, listen, I have to have a decent camera to, to do this. And then it just took off from there. And I had an editor who was a photographer himself, mm, mm. trained in photography. Um, he was the bureau chief for the Daily News in Brooklyn and the Bronx, I think. So he was really well known and he had moved down to the local community level paper. So I was working with people who were experienced and knowledgeable and they, they understood photography. That really helped a lot. 
Um, you know, he was all over the world and jumped out of planes wow. and stuff, wow. war zones, that kind of a, of a guy. You know, so he was the real deal. Um, I love how you go from finding a hobby. And I mean, there's no reason you have to turn a hobby into work. But in your case, something you're self-taught, right, in terms of uh, doing the photography. Well, thank goodness for YouTube videos and the internet. <laughs> <laughs> And talking to other photographers, in New York City, you're, you're going to bump into all these older veteran photographers. They come to an assignment. It's not just you. So you just start talking to these guys, and, and that you learn really good stuff from these guys. Because so, they come out of film into digital, you know. Okay, okay. So which newspapers were, did you end up working for? Well, it was, it was, uh, it was called a Bronx Times report, Reporter, but because they were part of News Corps, the, the, it was the Rupert Murdoch group okay. who had bought Wall Street Journal, New York Post. So then every weekend, a, a lot of my stuff that was in the weekly edition of the paper would show up in the Sunday edition of New York Post. We're talking about exposure to maybe 5 million people. <laughs> And out of a hobby. I like it. You don't do things small, do you, Alex? <laughs> That's where it was, you know, living in New York City. Okay, okay. And then how does this, well, I don't even know if it does lead to that, but um, you mentioned briefly the whole Nike thing. Go into a little more detail, because I think this is valuable uh, for someone listening of how to turn something a chance meeting uh, into something that becomes, it affects your whole life. Yeah, and that's that's a, a good point. So much of life is chance. Um, sometimes the chance is so subtle that we don't think about it. Other times it's like, oh my gosh, look how lucky I am. You know, the big chance. In my case, um, I had a New York City press pass, which is not that easy to get. So when you have these, you know, vetted by one police plaza, it allows you to go into crime scenes and fires, mm. emergencies, et cetera. So anyway, I showed up at a basketball tournament next to a beach in Pelame Park, which is the largest park in New York City. And it has, you know, water and forest. It's a large. And so here, right off the, the boardwalk at the beach are the basketball courts. And... I, because I have my, my New York City press pass on and I have my big camera equipment and I just look because I'm older and I look older. <laughs> you got the nice distinguished I got gray that, going yeah. on. So people yeah. are like, yeah, you can go anywhere you want. You can take any picture you want. You, you got total access. So during halftime of one game, a young man walks out of the stands and he, he uh, introduces himself and he says, well, you wouldn't happen to have an extra battery for your camera. Well, we're shooting Nikons. But I said, even if I did, our models are different. The battery models will also be different. So we, ex I gave him my, my business card, you know, for the paper. And so I said to him, well, what do you do? He says, well, I'm the uh, branding director, marketing director for Nike basketball, Eastern United States. They divide the United States into four segments. Okay. Uh, Chicago is the headquarters in the Midwest and Manhattan headquarters in Eastern United States. And so that night I sent him a Facebook, a link of a album, a Facebook album, about 30, 40 pictures. And his response within about half an hour was, wow, these are really good pictures. So that's got to make you feel I good. I said, well, yeah. you know, you could always give me some work. What's it going to say? No, so what? I right, at least I asked. Right. A week later, he's. Uh, I get an email that ends with Nike.com. Um, here's a work schedule um, for Nike Tournament of Champions in Brooklyn, New York. And so then he calls me up. Um, well, one of his people calls me up. And I, actually, I get another email that has three thumbnails. And they say, can we have the you know, the high res for these three thumbnails. Okay. Well, see, once they ask for that, they're going to use them, right? <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm in. And then um, he says, what's your what's your pay rate? Well, that kind of floored me because working for a global company is not like working for you and me and your cousin and your friend and whatever, school pictures. 
So he said, you know what? Don't worry about it. Think about it. And uh, I'll speak to you, you know, like next week. Okay. And then he, he calls me up and he says, oh, you know, we're talking about it. We we're thinking about, you know, 500 a game. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I could work and with that. And then when I show up at the site, um, brand new gym in uh, what used to be the, the Navy Yards, Brooklyn Navy mm. Yards. Um, there's a lot of history there. They had this like photo gallery where you walk, there's two entrances to the gym. They had these large photos, you know, about um, th- three feet, four feet, you know, big. And I'm looking up and I'm like, it, well, those, those two are mine. Remember? You're kidding. Remember they asked oh, for the thumbnails? thumbnails? Well, yeah, they are. And, I, you know, you're not used to seeing your, your stuff blown up and, you know, up there like in a galley, uh, unless you're really good. Um, and so one thing led to another, and then um, they picked me up for um, doing uh, outdoor basketball games. Um, in some cases, um, some people were hesitant because the neighborhoods were real dangerous and right, bad. Right. But once you're in that court, you know, you're good. You get a lot of respect. But my editor, I had a young Asian editor, a young guy, and he was very interesting. He said to me, he says, you know, Alex, when you send your photos into us, and that editors will go through the whole thing, I know which ones are yours before I see your name. And that that kind of floored me because it's basketball. How different can it be? Well, what I do did was a lot of also spectator things okay. and branding things. And Nike is huge on brand. I learned about marketing. I learned about branding. I learned what it's like to work for a company. You couldn't even show up at the site if you wore something that was not Nike. That's a no-no. Got it. Okay. You know, so, so you learn this, this stuff. And um, then I figured, well, between... Between saying I'm from New York City plus I worked for Nike, I could just about go anywhere and do anything. People were like, "Oh, you know, right." That gives you uh, credibility. It gives uh, you props. Right. Right. Yes. Major props. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like you're vetted already. Yeah. I, I, if I, Nike thinks you're okay, probably. And then when, you, and then when I still have my New York City press pass, which I'll flip out, I said, "You want to see what a New York City press pass looks like?" You know, because talk is cheap unless right, you can prove right. it. So they're looking at it like, "Oh." No. <laughs> you're good. You're good. So again, as we've talked about, you've moved now into Lakewood. Um, and just by comparison, I did look this up because we talked previously about it being dense. Um, New York City is like 8 million people. Cleveland proper is only what, 400,000, but the metropolitan area, 2 million. Still city, but smaller. And then Lakewood's about 50,000. Uh, so, you know, you've in come a, in. Right, seven square miles, something like that? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just uh, packed. Right. There's almost no industry there. Um, so how did you find work when you got here? Well. And, and you weren't looking, let me clarify, because I think you clarified with me the first time. You weren't looking for a full-time job. You're I still figured, retired. You know. Is there a paper in Lakewood? And there was. It was it was uh, the Lakewood Observer, um, and so um, it, it was a volunteer thing. And so they took me on, um, gladly actually <laughs> took me on, and um, I started shooting for them. And because um, I was around local Lakewood events, I got to know people, and then people know you know that whole social networking is critical. If you don't have a handle on social networking, especially as a photographer, you're not really going to get too far because everybody is a photographer. If they have a phone, they're a photographer. But if you really want to make and connect with the right people, is sometimes it's that one, like in my case, just one person. I bumped into one person at the right time, at the right place. Boom. That was the key. And when I made some friends of Ohio photographers, especially in fashion, there's this one guy that lives here. Um, am I allowed to say his name? Uh, if if you'd like to, yeah. yeah it's Jeff Hartman do. of uh, Bitmod Studios. Um, he lived in uh, for a while in Bolivar, um, Ohio. And he was so good when I saw his stuff. And then I worked also as freelancing for a magazine, Haute, Ohio, Haute Cuisine, 
mm. uh, you know, mm. high fashion, right. haute couture, right. yeah. not hot couture. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, know, the, you know, that's pronunciation's a big right, deal. Right, it and is. so I met through the publisher, Jackie Bertolette, I think she's in Willoughby Hills, off that magazine, Holt Ohio Fashion Magazine. Matter of fact, I'm going to do a show in Ohio Fashion Week. I'll be shooting all the runway stuff and behind the scenes stuff for that. Um, but when I, I saw his stuff, Jeff Hartman's stuff, it was so good. I said to him, you know, it's a shame you were born in Ohio. Mm. Really? Remember what we said about chance? Yes. You don't have no control of where you're going to be born. If he would have been born and lived in New York City, he, this guy would have been rich now. I mean, that's how good he is. And he can't connect with the right person or persons. because his And, and I, I feel bad for him. I, I want to explore that a little bit because uh, the next thing I was going to ask you about was it's going to give you a chance with, without, you know, focusing too negative. The whole idea of getting paid to be an artist. Let, let's just talk about that. Because, I mean, um, my husband it, and I have done video work. Artists um, are supposed to work for free, right? Yeah, yeah. And give their things away for, for uh, auctions yeah. I mean, and donations. Why, I was asked, why, why do you take pictures? Shouldn't you be sharing them? I mean, that's why you take pictures, right? And I'm like, okay, a person writes a book and he just gives it away? I don't think so. Right. Maybe that ties into that whole aesthetic again of just maybe not valuing it enough. But talking a little bit, so this gentleman that you're talking about, what kind of rates could he command if he was in New York City? Okay, I would say um, between 250 to 500 an hour. Okay. And fashion's a tight, tight-knit click, sort of. Matter of fact, uh, some friends in New York City, um, commercial photographers, um, they said to me, Alex, don't go there. That's a fashion mafia. <laughs> you know, they knew, and, and he, they were doing very well. They were getting consistent $250,000 jobs now and stuff like with commercial uh, photography, and they wanted me to work with it. That's why when I bought a house here and I told my friends in New York City I, I'm moving to Ohio, they were like, what? Ohio? You know, I was doing so well for a retiree. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Um, why? And again, New York City being very liberal, and this is a red state. Right, um, right. What? <laughs> so... Um, yeah, this whole thing of chance, sometimes, even with Nike, I kind of felt guilty. You know, like a person who's the only survivor in an in a airplane crash, like, why did I live and they died? It's like, why did I get the job? There are people are actually, that are better than, than myself. Right, or they've spent maybe huge amounts and of money getting training and doing all that. I was luckier right. than they were. I was in the right place and they weren't. Um, and again, aggression, well, it, not aggression, but being pushy, New York City, here, check this out, here, you know, and it worked for me. Okay. okay. Talking about it now, my wife is getting tired of me talking about it. As a former teacher, I felt that I'd like to offer uh, free professional services, but I think that the, the the operative phrase was professional services. They just saw me, I think, as a retired hobbyist who was pretty good. They didn't think, gee, I'm a professional who was used to getting paid a lot to do stuff like this. And so I was doing it and they were really happy and thankful. But it got to a point where it's like it was like expected. People would even get angry if I turned down something. I said, you know, I, I don't want to do that or I did it already or I got something else. Like, what's wrong with you? Uh, that's crazy when, and so I've wondered if sometimes if people are too nice, they're taken advantage of. So I don't know if that's outside of the boundary of art, the artists per se, or just human nature to take advantage of people that seem to be soft or weak or whatever. And by being free in New York, I learned one thing with rich people, if you don't value your product at a high level, rich people think you must not be any good. Okay. So sometimes you can, you know, rate your product at a ridiculous high price. Then they're saying, wow, this guy must be good. If it's free, it's the big deal. And uh, I had an issue with um, 
with the athletic department at Lakewood High School, where they put out a whole publication of like 15 pages of photos and no photo credits for anyone, not just my stuff, but no. And I was like, how do you do that? That's wrong. And so maybe it's ignorance. Maybe it's just not knowing stuff. Yeah, this is the problem I have with being an artist, a photographer in a small town. Never had that issue in New York City. First thing is photo credits, boom, you know, this, that, you know, how much you want to get paid for this, you know, sign, you know, sign contracts, whatever. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, so that's a difference, and at least, well, now you know. Um, I know you said, is it being taken advantage of? I don't know. I, I mean, I honestly don't know. I, I think it is more not... There's not the expectation. There are people here apparently willing to do that more, um, as opposed to in New York City. It's expected. It, it's the norm. Here, it's not the norm. So to to try and build that up, and again, the idea of doing it, I, I think you may be right, that if you just only do things for free or you start out that way, sometimes there it's is It's like you next- can never take it back. Right, either. right. You know, um, like teaching. If you start teaching on the first day and you're friendly and nice with the kids, then when you try to get strict, it doesn't work. You start with being strict and maybe then getting nice later. Um, and so like- People do ask for, well, how much would you charge me? And I'll say something, you know, you can, oh, oh, you'll never hear from them again. Right. But artists treat artists well in Cleveland. Oh, now that is good to hear. Artists treat fellow artists. My first paid gig was for a classical music group. Mm. And they immediately said how much, and they never questioned the price, and they paid me. And other musicians have hired me, and I probably undercharged them, but but at least they appreciate art, you know, fellow artists. It's all the other people <laughs> that I think don't have that kind of appreciation. Okay. Again, to photography nowadays, everybody's a photographer. Right. That's happened in so many industries. We were in video. So video, again, everybody can take video, everybody can take photo. Desktop publishing predated that. So everybody can publish. But do you tell the story well? Do you capture the image well? And I think at some point, if you're good, it rises up again. But but you go through this. I agree. I think your product speaks for itself. You know, rather than me boosting my product, People see it. Oh, wow, it's really good stuff. And and my editor back in New York City, shooting for a newspaper, your photos should either tell a story or beg a story. Mm. It's not a snapshot. Okay. It's a photograph. And Ooh. this jur- photojournalism, journalism means there's a story there. Some, you're telling something. Then that picture has to do that. With some, Most of the time, I go out with a reporter. You know, and so you you're able to sense what he's asking questions to certain people. So you try to look for pictures that kind of like mesh; they articulate with the story. That that's what sells. And so I've learned to also um, set up my compositions that I'm catching the inner the per the persona of the person, not just the person. The charisma, if the person has that, that's tricky to catch that. But if you do catch it, other people will pick. We're hardwired when we look at other people to pick up their, you know, their their waves, their energy. You know, it's it's something like maybe it's a protective mechanism from the evolutionary <laughs> times. Uh, uh, the um, but if you do it, people can just look and see it. It's an ineffable thing. It's hard to explain. Either you got it or you don't got it. Right. And you can see it. I mean, when, when you're looking through your photos, yeah, you know which ones speak. We're talking about transitions. I know um, we talked a little bit. You're, you're trying to make a slightly new transition uh, about doing more in video and cinematography. Uh, yes, I Tell me all about how that. that came about and how it's going. I was curious about, I've always been curious about 
people making movies, you know, seeing behind the scenes. When you buy a DVD nowadays, they have a whole disc sometimes of how they made the movie. Right, And right. I bet you some of that stuff is more interesting than the movie is. So because here, uh, Cuyahoga Community College, Tri-C they call it, has a special program 60, which means anybody over 60 years old can take one class a semester free. Yay. So I Yay took, for being older. <laughs> so I took one on TV studio production. Okay. You know, learning how to do, run those big TV cameras. It's a wholly different thing than, you know, than, than a DSLR that I'm using. Um, and we were setting up short videos, uh, interviews, really, um, about interesting people. And it, 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 an interesting story is... They counted me as one of the interesting people in the class. Okay. Because once I introduced myself, uh, and the professor was like, oh, I think <laughs> you heard this guy, right? I think <laughs> so one of you ought to interview him, you know? And then he would say to me after class, why did you, you know, I had to explain, why did you come from New York City? Everybody wants to <laughs> Everybody go to Everybody wants City, to know why Especially, you, you know, cinematography, right, right, video, right? right. right. So um, anyway, another student... Uh, matter of fact, there were just two of us that were over 60 in the program. And the other guy who was also um, over 60, he brought in a movie, a producer-director. Logan Fry is his name. Fascinating guy. He was a lawyer. He did this. He did, you know, manifold trades. And as soon as he walked into our studio, something in me just clicked and said, I like this guy. Right. I didn't right. even know him. Right. But I like this guy. I even walked up, introduced myself. I said, dude, you got the really good frames. I like the way everything <laughs> looked. You know, I was like, I was just a New York City thing, maybe. Okay. Being a little, you know, pushy. But then he, um, we became friends and he was shooting, reshooting some scenes of a short movie he had made that won all kinds of awards um, it, and it was uh, a very specific subculture, you know, like garbage trash films, they mm, call them. Really? Big in Europe, Germany, okay. England. Okay. I mean, that for that subculture, that's huge. So I brought along one of my cameras, which is really good video, and, and it had a special gimbal stabilizer. And I shot uh, the scenes of the second cameraman. He was a primary cameraman, but a stationary camera. I was moving along with the characters, so they were able to splice things together. And with video, you don't immediately know what you got, whereas with stills, you do. And so he said to me, after he ran it through his computer um, video program, he said, your stuff was great. He says, look at this. He says, you were, you were pulling focus between 35 seconds and 53 seconds. How did you do that? I said, I didn't. I had the right equipment, and I knew how to set it up, the technical piece. Right, right. In other words, you you have that picture in your head. That's what good produce, uh, directors have. And I really admire those good, you know, how they have all of that in your head. And then you got to make it work. You have to have the right equipment. And I was able to make that work. So now the movie might be going to Sundance and definitely being produced in Argentina, in UK, in Germany, <laughs> France, or especially in Europe. And so this is a new place that I'm thinking of, you know, getting into um, short indie movies, you know, no longer. And also the other piece is screenwriting. Right. I entered a contest that starts October the 13th. Um, it's worldwide. You write, um, they give you these topics and you have to write a short script um, of no more than, was it five, not five pages. I forget how long. Um, but I said to myself, if you're a screenwriter, you don't even need actors or camera people. If you have a, and you can write a really good script and it, someone reads it and buys it. Now, again, just like photography, how many thousands of scripts are being sent to agents? Uh, my my professor was would even travel to Cal LA, to California, to try to sell his script. And it was just, it, again, who do you know? Right, right, right. The connection. Well, and again, I'm thinking 
What's wonderful, I mean, obviously you're going to be drawn to something you're interested in. You bring the high school English background. You can write. Now you understand about the visual because you've been taking photographs and you're doing that. It's such a neat merging of skills that you bring. Well, let's um, see. We, we yeah. have to see if it works. Well, I know, you know but I, you're going to try it. Look, you, you have to, <laughs> right. You, exactly what you said. The components are there, but putting it together. And there's a time. It's like uh, you have to ha hand it in by, I forget how long they give you, a couple of days. Um, so... Oh, so it's a timed contest? Like, yes. Oh, so you can't work on it now yet. You don't know what the... Okay. You don't oh, know what the topics oh, are. I kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about a number of transitions, but they all seem... I, I, I love that the Big Apple seems to fit into it, either geographically or, again, your mindset more, what you grew up thinking about your... I know we've called it pushiness. I don't even know if it is that but your willingness to just be out there and go after it. So I'm framing it in that. But any advice for somebody either making a, a move like you did or this idea of trying different careers and getting into something? Go for it. You know, like Nike says, just do it. Yeah. Go for it. Um, you, you have nothing to lose. In other words, if I were to stop taking pictures today, there's no um, tie-in to my financial health. In other words, I don't need the extra money that I make. It's good to, if I can make extra money, but I, I can just walk away from it. So go for it. You know, you have nothing to lose. And if that doesn't work, go for it for something else. Um, I sense that some people are afraid. Um, for instance, photographers, local Lakewood photographers, I think they don't do that much uh, street photography because they're afraid to approach people on the street they don't know. Or if they take a picture of them from across the street, oh, you're a perv, you know, something. I, and if you take pictures of children, well, that's a whole nother area. Right, but right. legally, if a child is in a public place, you can take a picture of a child. We rather not do it out of courtesy and the cultural, you know, times that we live in. Um, but that sense of approaching others and in just ingratiating yourself and being a people person, well, that makes photography work. And so some people, because of their hesitancy, and again, I posted a picture of a young man uh, sitting, meditating on the solstice steps in mm. Lakewood Park. Um, people got on my case because I didn't speak to him and ask permission. I said I didn't have to. And number one, why would I want to interrupt his meditative mood he was in? He was eyes closed. He was like praying. I'm not going to get into right, that right. space. And because he was in a public place, I was perfectly okay with taking that. People, oh, you shouldn't. But well, you know what? It might be legal, but it's not neighborly. That, 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 see, that community thing, I never would hear that in New York City. Okay. But then when I spoke to, of all people, the new football coach at Lakewood High School, guess what? That was the coach's friend. And the friend, when he found out about the picture, thought it was great, liked it. I wish he would have told me. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. You know, got in touch with me and said, by the way, thank you for the picture. I liked it. <laughs> but you see, I had to deal with this. They're in a different cultural place. And so notice it's it's not neighborly, even though it might be legal. Is that actually what legal. someone said? Yes. It might wow. be legal, wow. but it's not neighborly. Well, that's according to you. I'm a photographer who sees a really great picture. I am this neighborly thing is a subjective value that you put on it. See, that again, that cultural paradigm shift. See, I, I did I never had that in New York City. Okay. Well, I and I actually get that. I have to say, I am probably one of those people who would be a little hesitant. I, you know, is that why I take pictures of windows and doors? I don't have to ask permission of windows and doors. So, I mean, that could come up from so many things. But I am a Cleveland native. Come well, from this, you know, I so, give advice yeah. to people. Let's yeah. say to you, as, yes. if, as a fellow photographer and video, more a videographer, when you walk up to people, be positive. Wow. You look 
great. And and I and I just love that look you have. I'm a photographer and and, and I'd love to take your picture. All I can say is no, please or leave me alone. And so you walk away. Right. That's the hard part. People don't like to be turned down or to be put into a sort of a negative vibe situation. Be bold. They're not hurting you. <laughs> they're not hitting you. Right. They're not. Right. And you're not hurting them. Any other advice um, or any other thing I should have asked you? Maybe it doesn't have to be because otherwise we'll wrap this up. Well, I want to thank you so much for asking me here as one of your, um, I'm what they call the interviewee, right? You are. Or guest. Or guest. How about I'm, I just say I'm, guest? I'm guest. That's, that's, the, right. that's more neighborly. <laughs> and, and, and it's nice to be able to put your story out for other people because people are interested in what's your story. Well, here's mine. I, I have to say, and uh, since you brought this up, We'll see if it ends up in the podcast or not. I'm talking to often um, people I have known for a long time. And how often do you sit down and spend an hour and actually talk about, talk to them, focus on them, and something important about their life, how they've made decisions, how they've made changes. I am finding this personally so different and satisfying. Is it cathartic? I don't know. Um, for each person doing it, well, it know, might be. Well, you know um, why I asked the question. Most therapists, for instance, ah. and I have a therapist and I'm not ashamed. Most therapists will talk about, um, keep journal writing. Because mm. mm. journal writing is the reflection of your inner thoughts that you can always look at later. Sometimes you, you even forget what they were. By releasing these feelings, something about the transition of emotional, psychological ideas onto paper, in this case uh, into a, an, a podcast, a recording, is, is cathartic. I know for me to get it out. Now, of course, there's some things I'd like to say, but I'm not going to say because it's just not wise to right, say those right, things. Right, right, right. But still, it's kind of like, you know, you get the monkey off your back, so to speak. But at the same time, too, who knows, as a teacher, who's going to listen, who's going to hear this, and who's going to say, you know what, maybe I'll try that. Because I know as a teacher, I'm surprised by students I meet 20 years later, you know, and they did. I met a student who was a doctor. I was taking my blood before surgery. And I looked at her, I knew there was something about her. And when she looked at me and then saw my name, she said, oh, I was your student. Oh, wow. And she was a lawyer first and then became a doctor. Wow, I didn't know you were that smart. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think what you're saying is true. What it makes me think about was one of the people I interviewed after we talked um, she was already planning to do this, but she has started a support group. Again, I'm not going to take credit for more motivation, but it moved her along a path that, again, being more open with what her situation was and helping others. When I started telling people that this was going to be about life transitions and asking if they had ever, you know, if there was something similar. Now, I haven't done, you know, huge research. The the people who told me that there had been, it was more clinical, people doing transitions out of like addictions and stuff like this. This appeals to me more. It always has as a documentary maker. It's like, what's your story? Every individual does have a story. When we did documentaries, we would be introduced to a whole new world. What a great way to make a living. And, yeah, you and know, even so. the big networks, HBO's 30 on 30, 60 on 60, okay. You know, the short, because don't forget, people's attention spans are limited. But yeah, everybody has a story. Everybody would like to hear the story. And you never know. You just don't, we don't know the future. So we have to be as um, fortright within parameters of what's... uh, uh, careful to protect our in our psyche and our integrity we you know that whole thing of um 
all of us have like these invisible psychic barriers that they're protecting ourselves. We'll go only so much out of that. And then there are these boundaries that we do not cross or want other people to cross. So I think that's the issue when you do uh, life transitions and stories is to respect one's psychic integrity. That's, that's a crazy area there. Well, hopefully I respected that for you. Um, I would also think it's sort of self-controlled. You'll share what you're going to share, and we got it out there. So thank you. Well, thank you. For sharing that part of your story and your life journey. Um, This wraps up today's visit with Alex Belisle. That's B-E-L-I-S-L-E, Beautiful Island. Ooh, yes, yes. You're somebody who took a chance uh, to leave the only type of life you had known, leave in the big city and try out life and retirement here in a bit more of a small town. So I just think we're blessed that you moved into our community and that you're willing to share your creative talents with all of us. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to Passing Through Life a show that explores how people get through major life changes. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a wonderful review in Apple Podcasts. That will help new listeners know more what to expect. And you can email me at passingthroughlifepodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to comment about this show or suggest people and topics for future episodes. I'm Luann Bull Becker. Thanks again for joining us.